Welcome to another edition of This Week in Digital Trust, 11M's regular conversation about all things tech policy, privacy and cybersecurity. I'm Arge, joining you once again from a Wabakul country and I'm joined again by Jordan. Hi Jordan, how are you going? Hey Arch, I'm good. I'm joining you as usual from Wurundjeri country in Melbourne and I'm looking forward to a chat about regulation, our favourite. Episode 3 of the AI mini-series. The penultimate episode. <laughs> the series rolls on, that's right, yeah, penultimate. We covered in the first one a bit of like groundwork, a bit of definitional stuff, like what is AI and, and what are the harms we're worried about? And then episode two, we started to look at what businesses were doing in response to those harms. And there was a bit of a seed planted in that conversation about business responses, which is that often businesses respond to what the law tells them they should respond to. That's often very helpful for them to know uh, how to govern something. It's not the only reason, but but it was kind of where we got to. The pointy end of that conversation was like businesses are, you know, many of them well-meaning and they want to do the right thing and they want to manage risk sometimes for their own self-interest and commercial benefits. So, they have technology that works reliably, but a fairly solid backstop for a lot of this stuff is, well, if I don't do the right thing, I'm going to get fined or there's some regulatory consequence, which leads us to that conversation. Leads us to talking about regulation. And you can define regulation pretty broadly, right? Like arguably, we've got some AI principles in Australia that, you know, are not mandatory, not binding, but, you know, they're an action that the government's done to try to influence behavior. And in a very loose sense, that's regulation. But really what we're focused on is, you know, what what are the actual rules going to be? What are the laws going to be? Are they going to be a regulator? Is there going to be a regulator? What are they going to focus on? Kind of at the core of this conversation is this recent discussion paper from the Department of Industry, Science and Resources about exactly this, right? What should the law be what should the regulation of AI be look like in Australia that paper's titled safe and responsible AI in Australia and there's a consultation that's actually open at the moment for an, about another month looking for input on that so we're going to get to that in a minute but that's kind of really the question what's going on elsewhere in the world what are the models what are the frames for thinking about ai regulation and what should it look like in australia i mean i think it's significant in its even in itself that the paper was issued by the government australia's basically said let's have a discussion clearly this is something we need to be working out so let's put out a discussion paper there are a lot of discussion papers out at the moment on various aspects of tech policy but this genuinely feels like one where i feel like it's a very useful sort of approach because there's a fair bit to canvas which we're going to get to around how do you skin this cat there's no real consensus yet on what the what, what do we do about our ai we know enough to know that people are worried about aspects of it but you know, there's no consensus or there's no easy easy solution. But um, there's a lot of people talking about it. Some of the most prominent voices are the people that make it. Sam Altman, who's the CEO of OpenAI, which makes ChatGPT and GPT-4 and, and so forth. Um, you know, he's obviously, and they, OpenAI, have obviously locked into the fact that people are talking about regulation. Governments are talking about regulation. So he went off on a bit of a world tour recently over the last few weeks to really... You know, it's, I don't think it's too cynical to say, but to shape that conversation, to shape the way governments are thinking about regulation. Um, my favorite description in one of the write-ups was that Sam Altman has been on a world tour that puts Taylor Swift to shame, which is very topical as well with, um, 
with uh, Taylor Swift tickets being uh, sold at the moment in Australia. But yeah, he's been out to Israel, Jordan, Qatar, the UAE, India, South Korea, Japan, Singapore, Indonesia, Australia even. He came down here. Um, he obviously was in front of the US Senate. He's met world leaders. He's met students, venture capitalists, leaders. Um, real kind of full charm offensive to get people to think about AI regulation in the way that he wants people to think about AI regulation. Yeah, which is like relatively specific with a focus on establishing his credentials, right? And OpenAI's credentials as responsible managers, as the people you want in the room when you're defining um, AI regulation, which is, you know, extremely beneficial in itself. A very cynical reason companies like OpenAI or anyone wants to present as responsible is so that they get invited into the consultation, they get invited into the discussions, right? They've got a seat at the table for the law. Yeah, and I think it's even more strategic than that It's because it starts a step earlier, which is that I think he has tried to define himself in open as like, let us tell you what the harms are as well. So, it's like even before getting to the point of we will tell you the best way to regulate, let us define the, the first part of that conversation, which is what, what should we be worried about? And we've been talking about this in the past about you know, very much shaping that conversation about, you know, existential risk and AI is going to take over and kill us all and so forth. But very overtly and, you know, writing these open letters and very overtly trying to say, like, we are not only the people that make it, but we are the experts in the harm that it's going to cause. And also we can therefore tell you about the best way to mitigate those through regulation. And that goes to what the regulation will be alongside Altman's world tour about AI regulation. There was reports of his companies lobbying behind the scenes to get chat GPT and GPT-4 and large language model based products that they make not ranked in the high risk category so that they don't need to comply with all these additional requirements. So, you know, on the one hand, he's running around talking about existential risk and how, you know, this could destroy the world. And on the other, in the back rooms with the regulators, he's talking about how, nah, nah, don't worry, these models are nothing. They're just a chatbot. Don't worry about it. It's interesting to see just a little bit of that yeah, messaging play out because he, he went into the US conversation, very open to regulation. Let us do it. Let's go ahead. But then in, in the Europe context was sort of not this kind of regulation. And, you know, like on the one hand, doing what you said, which was, you know, trying to get definitions in place so that his models were at the lower risk end, but then also sort of, you know, making a few of those threats saying that if the regulation looks like the way the EU AI Act is going to look, it's going to be cause for them to leave Europe altogether, take their model and bat and ball and go home. But I think that's been sort of wound back a little bit. But those threats, on the one hand, they feel like they're probably empty threats. But I think it's useful just to very briefly just note that 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 is the framing context, I think, for the broader conversation around regulation as well. So even the Department of Industry, Science and Resources paper, which is sort of opening this conversation about regulation, very conscious of sort of making the case about the opportunity of AI and the benefits of AI. And even if it doesn't make the case, I think we know broadly that businesses and governments see this as like something they need to take advantage of. There's almost as much fear about missing out missing a step and you know falling behind in adoption of AI because of all the purported benefits and you know a lot of that is hype but a lot of that is genuine as well I think that is useful just to keep in mind when thinking about 
the appetite and the approach to regulation because the governments that are saying let's regulate are also thinking well we don't want to get this wrong so that you know we miss out we overdo it we do it wrong we we stifle some benefits that may play out so that i think that's in the in the picture as well so those threats from an open ai that we might go away i think they do touch a bit of a sore point even though they're probably largely empty one thing i quite liked about that department of industry discussion paper we've been mentioning is they do they call that out quite explicitly and they make a point that i would have made myself if they hadn't discussions about governance responses are often framed as you say around balancing potential risks with fostering innovation and, and adoption and i'm quoting from the paper here however these are not mutually exclusive Proportionate and timely governance responses, regulatory or otherwise, will build the public trust needed for our economy and society to reap the full benefits of these productivity-enhancing technologies. It's not rules versus innovation and adoption. It's like the right rules is the way to, you know, succeed, avoid harms, promote, drive adoption. And if there's too many rules or not enough, and if the rules aren't well-framed, that's when you run into trouble. Before we move on from OpenAI and Sam Altman, the, one of the key things he called for in his appearance in front of the US Senate was some sort of licensing and registration regime for AI models above a certain threshold. And this was kind of seen to be the kind of key takeaway. It's been interesting to hear some of the commentary, even from you know Silicon Valley types around that, which is that this is really about kind of building the moat around OpenAI. Like, you know, he's already kind of got this model. He's, a you know, quite advanced open ai you know they've rolled this thing out everywhere and a large part of the push for regulatory for, for some sort of regulation is yes on the one hand an ability to shape that um and potentially weaken it but also a way to entrench a competitive advantage that already exists and you know to sort of prevent the smaller operators from being able to cut his lunch i guess yeah This regulation conversation, I want to frame that discussion with three different axes or like distinctions that come in when we're thinking about AI regulation and that shape the different approaches or maybe explain or help us categorize different approaches. So axis one is regulation versus not or regulation versus guidance, right? We've seen on the US side, we've kind of already talked about this, on the US side, you've got a tendency towards standards, rules, research, not enforceable stuff. On the EU side, you have a much greater tendency towards actual concrete regulation. Axis two is this distinction between general regulation and specific regulation. So we've kind of talked about this as well. You can look to regulate AI specifically as the EU AI Act, for example, or you can look to applying general regulations, anti-discrimination law, employment law, privacy law. Product safety, consumer safety, yeah. Yeah, consumer law, product safety, all of those. You can look to apply those to protect people. Do you really need an AI-specific regulation? So that's access to regulation or guidance, access one, existing regs versus specific regs, access to. The third kind of 
axis way of categorizing way of talking about this or distinguishing between ideas is focusing in a bit more detail about what are we regulating when we're talking about AI are we regulating the development so what open AI does when they're developing a model the kind of information they use are we regulating the application of that model so say facial recognition are we regulating the police department application of a facial recognition algorithm or are we regulating the training and the data and the process and the bias that is in the foundational model that's being used in that application or as a third potential are we regulating the infrastructure the supply chain the the size of the company the way that they collected the data the labor that they used to label the data you know the monopoly that they're using to enforce their ranking algorithm all of these elements of like either infrastructure and supply chain or the kind of social political power dynamics about around the deployment of the ai and i think those axes are really useful because they're all very different questions that we're answering and often i think in this conversation about AI regulation, we see a lot of news and the conversation that's being had is different depending on which axis you're thinking about. So, you know, when the US talks about AI regulation and they have a White House summit, um, as they did with leaders to say, like, how are we going to regulate it? If you look closely at what comes out of that summit and you look at the sort of the, the, the statements that come out of the White House, they're actually talking more about that guidance and self-regulation approach, voluntary standards. And um, so it, it bears keeping in mind those axes, which I think is very useful. Um, so, yeah, on that on that axis one around kind of that regulation versus guidance, I think I kind of did it there. But you tend to sort of fall into, oh, this is the US approach around guidance versus the EU pro approach. But um, what I found useful about the paper from the Department of Industry was there's actually some variability across the world. World around these two these two modes in this axis. So this, you know, Singapore's looking at a very voluntary approach. The EU and Canada are looking at more kind of prescriptive regulatory, actual sort of regulatory approaches. And obviously the US, uh, a lot of best practice being issued through its standards bodies and so forth. So there is a bit of a a mixture and a variation across the world. Um, I think Japan have similarly kind of gone looking at like that, maybe that more voluntary approach. So uh, it's something that clearly that that axis, I think, is very much playing into the thinking of governments about the best way to do this. You get the same kind of questions arising in privacy, right? International oper interoperability is really important. If you're building a tech product here and you want to sell it into EU or you want to sell it into a yes, US, what are the what are the Australian regulations that will facilitate that? And it can be quite varied. I don't think there is a global consensus that seems to be emerging yet, but where the consensus does settle in some years between that, you know, the, the guidance versus the concrete regulation approach will, will be important for us, I think. Staying on that US approach, Axis 1, we've categorized them as guidance. Axis 2, we're categorizing them as relying on general regs rather than any kind of AI-specific regulations. Again, they've got AI-specific guidance, but in terms of laws, because there's this unwillingness in the US to pass much of anything really, but 
particularly in the AI context. We prefer to invest in non-regulatory infrastructure, right, is the phrase. Non-regulatory infrastructure. Yeah, so, I mean, my armchair analysis is that it is at least in part because it is so hard to pass national laws over there that they are falling back on existing regulation to deal with risks and concerns emerging around AI. So, you know, we talked uh, in episode 61 a few weeks ago, some weeks ago, about this essay from Lena Khan about enforcing competition law against AI vendors and making sure that, that she would be up and about and enforcing her patch in this new world. And you've got similar positions from, you know, like around labor and equal opportunity or consumer protection or education and health and housing. All of these government departments that have their particular patch, when you've got real estate agents using AI to sort tenants in the US anyway, you don't have an AI law that they're enforcing. You do have a housing department that's up and about in enforcing fairness you know you hear this a lot again for the from the proponents or the sort of advocates particularly out of silicon valley of ai which is that they ask the question you know what is it you want to actually govern with a new ai law that we can't already do you know like everything that people are worried about this i'm quoting but everything that people are worried about from you know discrimination from ai through to like you know, mistreatment of personal information, defamation through to copyright abuse. We have laws already that cover all the harm. So what is it that you need in a dedicated AI law? I'll be honest, like it is one that I'm grappling with a little bit because I think, you know, when we talk about those discrete harms, we do have laws in many cases. And the paper from the Australian um, Department of Industry sort of also lays out like a large number of legal frameworks we have. It is something that we, we sort of need to get very sharp about is that what is it over and above the laws that we have that we want a dedicated AI law to do? I think one answer to that is make these algorithms more amenable to the existing laws. So one one of the focuses of the EU AI Act is transparency, letting people know when they're dealing with a algorithm, requirements to produce explanations or reasons, requirements to publish information about training data. One of the concerns around ChatGPT and GPT-4 has been, and some of the generative image producing AI have been their use of copyright data in training of these algorithms. So, you know, we've got a law that restricts that, that applies copyright, great, but that law is useless unless the copyright owners can have transparency in the use of their material in these models, right? What makes this a hard problem is that just that general picture of the technological change and we're continuing to grapple with the technology and understand it. And in a way that makes arguments for both sides of the fence, which is like on the one hand, it tells us that because technology is changing so quickly and maybe our existing laws around copyright and defamation aren't fit for purpose to, to do what they need to do. We need something extra. But then the other side of it is also that things are moving so quickly that if we're going to have a dedicated AI law, how quickly is it going to go out of date? How do we frame it so that, you know, like the EU AI Act, uh, you know, had to be updated recently to properly account for chat GPT. And so, you know, what if that law had been passed, you know, six months ago? 
it's not yet passed. It's going to be passed. Uh, it's it's sort of been agreed to, and they expect it'll be passed probably later this year. But if it had been passed six months ago, you know, it would have missed accounting for this major, major thing that's completely turned the world on its head, which is ChatGPT and generative AI. So what does that mean then about having a a dedicated e, you know AI act that it can so quickly potentially go out of date? And I just think there's such compound exponential change at the moment that yeah, it kind of. Yeah, like I said, it kind of it kind of makes the case for both sides of the fence. Yeah, and one of the regulatory approaches to responding to that is like pointing to standards bodies and that kind of thing to say, look, you know, here are the general requirements, here are the general objectives. We know that the technology will change dramatically, so you know, we're going to pass it to a regulator or something to set the particular specific rules. E-safety has, you know, fairly broad code making process around, you know, online safety and a number of issues there with the platforms and that's a mechanism to work through. So we've, we've been mentioning this, the EU AI Act a little bit. And so let's just take a step back for a second. The EU AI Act is a fairly significant piece of legislation that is very slowly working its way through the EU Parliament. It was drafted for first drafted in April 2021, so well before ChatGPT, generative AI, generative image or text AI technologies were very mainstream. There's a final text of that that's been agreed by the European Parliament very recently this month, and there's you know, some final steps to passing it. It's expected to be passed kind of towards the end of this year and come into force in a couple years' time in in kind of late 2025. That act, at its core, is this risk-based categorization of AI models and rules to apply to those AI models based on their risk. You know, at the extremely unacceptable risk end, you just can't do it, is things like practices that have potential to manipulate people through subliminal techniques, exploiting vulnerabilities of specific groups, for example, children, persons with disabilities, uh, social scoring, like the Chinese social credit score done by public or private authorities. These are just like outright banned. And then you've got a high-risk category, which is things like biometric identification, use in admissions, in education, things that might have a really significant impact on a person, but, you know, might be permitted under some pretty high supervision. And if you want to do any of that, there's a set of requirements that you've got to meet. And then limited and minimal risk are other categories that have much lower requirements. So if you're just making an AI chatbot, for example, you just need to tell people that they're interacting with an AI system and that's kind of it. You don't have all of the added oversight for the higher risk systems. What what I like about it also is in it comes through in the way you're describing it also is it's not just about classifying the model in and of itself or the, the AI system in and of itself into those categories. It's the context in which it's being used and the application in which it's being used. You could have a chatbot or you could have a particular type of AI application, even generative AI, let's say, 
that falls into a, a, a lot one of the lower risk categories based on it's being used. But if you know law enforcement are going to be using it in order to arrest people, or if people are going to be screened for employment and other forms of you know opportunity, then then it moves up the risk category. So it's looking both at the inherent kind of technology and the application itself, as well as like how are you planning to use it and what are the consequences of it not working well in that context. That focus on applications is useful for the reasons you've just described, but also challenging for other reasons, right? It's hard to apply that to, say, OpenAI and GPT-4. What is the purpose? What's the application? Especially when they are offering these chatbots or like these models through APIs to other developers who are building applications. Coming back also to earlier in the conversation, that third axis is what we're talking about here. Are we regulating the models requirements for OpenAI and how they build their model, how they risk assess how people might use it versus regulating a specific application you're talking to this particular kind of person in this particular context what are the controls you got to apply because it was drafted in 21 the eu ai act was super focused on that particular application stuff and not so much on the model stuff just to bring that to life with a fairly trivial example you talked about these ideas like there are these third party kind of apps that can be built based on using open you know, APIs from things like ChatGPT and GPT-4. There's one that I came across, you know, in, in the last week or so, so Agent GPT or something like that. And it's it's essentially, it gives you some examples, but basically you, you're able to define a, an outcome, a task, and then it, it builds a series of subtasks and then it goes off and does the research. And the examples that are there that is used to promote the tool are things like build me an itinerary for a trip to Hawaii. And so it breaks that down into a set of subtasks. It uses large language models and chat GPT to kind of work out how, you know, how you might do that. Very trivial, but somebody has used the same tool to define a task of destroy humanity and it's broken that into a set of subtasks and then come up with a very detailed plan and it's like a very simple example where the risk assessment around the context is in the usage it's in what i'm doing but to just look at the tool in and of itself it's almost sort of neutral in a way in that sense and so part of the challenge with an eu ai act and making the risk categorization is sort of almost having to speculate and foresee about how the the, the model can be used I mean, we are with shorthand referring to two different approaches, EU, US approaches. As you were saying with the US approach, they're not the only ones going down that road. Similarly with the EU approach of like specific rules for AI that are risk-based, um, you said Canada um, is is considering this stuff. New Zealand as well has a framework for their government institutions that follows a similar kind of risk-based categorization. That EU one, they're still not looking at very much in that AI Act, the infrastructure or the relationships and so on around the data, uh, you know, looking at labor conditions around labeling and moder- monitoring, um, how much power, how much water do these massive data centers use? There's 
kind of conversations that are bubbling around some of these attendant issues that aren't really in scope of any of the even even the most kind of willing to regulate aggressive on the pro-regulation end of the spectrum, those kinds of issues are still really not in scope. They also preview, I think, a little bit of the challenge around enforcement. Just from our conversation, as we can see this, you know, it traverses such a broad spectrum of issues, but also so much of it is, you know, three, four, five steps removed, you know, like what is the what does the labor conditions look like that train the model that, you know, is being deployed in a particular way. That's just the other background kind of thought process for me is that, you know, when we've talked about other forms of regulation like privacy, like GDPR, at a certain point we get to the conversation of it's great that we've got it, but it, this thing needs to be enforced and are regulators either resourced or capable enough to enforce and i think that's going to be a key conversation around anything that comes in from an ai regulation perspective is being able to just pull back the covers or break open the black box to be able to do the audits and ask the questions and know what's the data that this has been trained on or even just to know that you know because so much of this is also open source and kind of proliferates everywhere is just to know that you know some application somewhere is actually at the end of the day underlying it's running on ai and therefore needs to be you know regulated and brought into the remit of of any ai regulation So, what's Australia doing? What should we do? My read from the AI discussion paper is that they're tentatively leaning towards a European risk-based kind of approach to catch and wrap some protections around the most potentially harmful applications, uh, use cases, and then that they'll kind of rely on these other broader regulatory structures to to deal with the rest. I think we've seen some good frameworks as well that advance that conversation, things like the the model law for facial recognition out of UTS, which, you know, is one specific application of AI, but again, is very much that risk-based approach, understand the uses and the deployments in different contexts and have some rules around that. I think, you know, generally the literacy is important. So understanding the harms as, you know, we have sort of discussed in our earlier episodes is important in and of itself because it helps you then understand, okay, in order to regulate AI we know that AI has these harms, then we can draw attention to the fact that we have existing laws and just to make sure that they're working well. There is a little bit of wait and see and watch, I think, in Australia's approach as well, which I think is valid. Like we have we have understanding of the harms. We know we have laws and initiatives in place and making sure that they're tuned to address the harms, but then thinking about a, a dedicated risk-based approach more broadly around AI. Um, yeah, makes sense. I think that risk-based thing makes a lot of sense when we're talking about applications. It's harder to apply when we're talking about very general purpose or, you know, dual purpose technologies. There are some specific things in addition that we want to be thinking about, like that kind of transparency about the data or even just identifying other externalities of this kind of industry. Um, I think when we're talking about how do we deal with safe and how do we ensure safe and responsible AI in Australia, We've got to look at that whole supply chain rather than just, you know, did you use it for, for 
facial recognition in law enforcement or something. Yeah, good note to finish on. You've laid out a, a blueprint for AI regulation in Australia. It's all done. It's got a ribbon on it. There you go. Job done. Prime yep. Minister. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll slap a uh, cover letter on this podcast and send it in as a submission to the dis- consultation. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for that and look forward to chatting again next week. Sounds good. Talk next week. Bye. See you, Arch. Thank you.